How to Improve Mental Health in Workplace Interview with Dr. Gretchen Moran Marsh Have you noticed that your employees are struggling with mental health issues more and more since COVID started? You may notice they're showing up late or feeling down or not as productive as they used to be. What can you as a team leader do to help? Would you like to learn some practical tips to improve the mental health in your workplace? Then you're in the right place. Our guest, Dr. Moran Marsh, will share some practical tips that you could apply right away and see your employees' productivity get better, their mental health get better, and they're performing at their peak. And you are watching Happy and Healthy Mind program, episode 103. Thank you, Dr. Moran, for, Moran Marsh, for joining us today. Oh, I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So um, Dr. Gretchen Moran Marsh is a clinical psychologist and professional speaker who specializes in assessment and treatment of anxiety and depression related disorders in children, adolescents and adults. Dr. Marsh received her undergraduate degree from University of Michigan and her master's degree and PhD from Wayne State University in Detroit, Michigan. In addition to a private practice, she consults with corporations and provide tools to improve mental health in workplace. And I am your host, Dr. Rosina Lakhani. I help compassionate high achievers achieve more, earn more, and make the impact they're meant to make without burnout and without losing their health or career. I'm an executive coach, a corporate speaker, and an integrative psychiatrist. I believe that your mind is the software that runs the hardware of your brain and your body. Therefore, we share practical tips for your mental fitness so you can perform at your best and not suffer unnecessarily. If you need specific medical advice, please consult your healthcare professional. But if you find this content helpful, please join our mission of eradicating preventable suffering by liking, subscribing, and sharing so more people can live and perform at their best with hope, health, and happiness. So let's jump in the topic and learn from our guest. So doc, how do you want me to pronounce Dr. Gretchen? Sure, that's great. Yeah, that's easier. So Dr. Gretchen, tell us how did this topic become important in your life? Well, it's so interesting. So I'm a practicing clinical psychologist and I, as you said, I see mainly people for anxiety and depression related disorders. And several years ago, I noticed that my clients didn't have basic mental health knowledge. So as a part of my practice, I began educating them about how to improve their mental health starting today. Now, those techniques that I taught them, then they started talking to their friends and to organizations and said, let's bring Gretchen on in to teach us all these different strategies. So then from there, I started talking to my local high schools or the local school departments, and it just kind of took off from there. Then with the pandemic that hit and mental health, you know, taking a real dive since the pandemic, um, corporations then started coming in to me and saying, we, you know what, we see that there's a mental health problem in our office. We need to know what to do about it. We want to help our employees when they're suffering. So it's great. Some really progressive companies have identified mental health as an area that they want to improve. And so they bring me in and I give tips and talk about the state of mental health and really what to do to uh, improve your mental health starting today. Wonderful, wonderful. I'm sure these organizations would are benefiting from your sharing the, your knowledge 
let's share some tell me if if you can share a story or a case study how life was before they applied these tools and then how life changed if they applied these tools so our audience can see if they could relate to those stories sure i'd be happy to so i would like to tell you all about a case study that i had in my private practice now I was seeing a person who was about in their mid-20s, and they were suffering from horrific anxiety. By the time they got to me, I was their third psychologist, and they had been to two different psychiatrists. They were on anti-anxiety medication. And how their anxiety was manifesting itself was in a fear of vomiting. So they chose not to eat. Now, this was especially problematic because this person was also a diabetic. You see, they had to eat to regulate their blood sugars and nothing was seeming to work. So this person came in, I did a full psychodynamic psychiatric evaluation and I found, yes, this person did have an anxiety disorder, but you know what they also had? They had a sleep disorder. You see, this person wasn't getting enough sleep and not enough consistent sleep like throughout the night. So what happened here is they would try to fall asleep. Well, first of all, they would be on their phone and the phone would be glued to their face until the last minute until they thought that they were tired. And then they would try to fall asleep. And they would have all these racing thoughts. All these worries would come up into their head. And they couldn't turn off their mind. So what they did was is they would get up. And they would try to do something and then go back to bed or turn on the TV. And they would be falling asleep and waking up like five and six times a night. So inconsistent sleep and it wasn't adequate. So, so what if I they're did, going through what? all these things, probably they're not even able to perform at work. No, their work got, you know, they were being written up at work for not producing enough. They were showing up late because what would happen? They finally fall asleep and then they couldn't get up. So they were also affected their mood. You know, when we talk about sleep deprivation, it is one of the big things that it shows is you have a difficulty regulating your emotions when you are sleep deprived, meaning that when you're feeling angry or irritable, you can't control how you behave. So with this client, I taught them a bunch of techniques. I taught them progressive muscle relaxation, which is a sensational way to fall asleep. And I, you know, I'm sure you know what it is, but what it entails basically. It was, it was my first introduction to psychiatry. Well, I was in medical school and I was going through a lot of anxiety of exams and all these things, I learned progressive muscle relaxation to help me get through the medical school. So yes, it's, it's yes. a wonderful technique, it's wonderful isn't it? Technique. It's a wonderful and, technique. And I know, still, so till day I used to help myself fall asleep. I teach all my clients. I teach my kids. So I teach yeah. every, there isn't one person that wouldn't benefit from progressive muscle relaxation. Yeah. So for, for those of you who don't know what it is, what it is, is systematically tightening different muscle groups, starting with your feet, and you hold the tension for a period of 10 to 15 seconds, and then you release. And we have found that when you induce muscle relaxation in your body, your mind also calms too. Now, an added benefit of this is that when you're concentrating on tensing those feet, you start with your feet and you go up to your your calves and your quads and your core and your chest and your neck and your furrowed brow when you're doing that you're also occupying your mind at the same time you see you can't have those worries kick in or those negative thoughts so it's it and what happens is more times than not i don't know if this is a, a case study for you but people fall asleep in the middle of it yeah most of the time people do 
Yes. And yeah, and that's why, you know, I have done a video on progressive muscle relaxation for sleep. So yep. it's a, uh, it's a wonderful strategy. I taught this person progressive muscle relaxation. I also taught them that when they woke up in the middle of the night, because they hadn't taught themselves to sleep consistently through the night, they had to wait 15 minutes before getting out of bed. And they had to do an exercise. Either they could go back to progressive muscle relaxation. They could do deep breathing techniques. Uh, you know, Raymond Weil has wonderful deep breathing four, seven, eight breath that is sensational. That one is, you know, breathing in for a count of four, holding for a count of seven, and breathing out for a count of eight. So that was another technique. And then the third technique that I taught them was it was called um, scattered counting. Now, this is kind of an interesting technique. It is, you, I'm sure you've heard of counting sheep, right? We've all heard counting yes. sheep as a kid. Or counting stars or whatever. Yeah. But the reason it's so helpful is it's so darn boring but it does occupy your mind a little bit. So you can't get those worries going. You can't think of all the things that you've got to do the next day. So scattered counting is another great technique. So someone can sit there and go 13, 47, 642, and they can, they can occupy their mind. Wonderful. So, you know, when I started going into places and teaching people these basic techniques of how to take care of themselves, their mental health improved. And we know the first thing to do when you are starting to feel a little bit off or a little bit sad or a little bit anxious is to check your sleep. That's the number one thing to do. Wonderful. Wonderful. And I know there are many tools that you, you teach and we are going to talk that talk further in a few minutes, but share with us, how did the life change for this client once they started applying sure. some of the tools and specifically how did it, their ability to improve the mental health at their work improved? Yes. So it was very interesting. So this person, when we got this person's sleep corrected, now this is just for this person. This not, might, might, might not always be the case, uh -huh. but it is probably more times than not. When his sleep got corrected, his anxiety plummeted. So much so that within, by using the techniques I described, he was sleeping through the night for eight hours in three weeks. And in six weeks, he reevaluated his need for psychiatric medication with his psychiatrist. And they slowly weaned off. And he became, you know, very circumspect about always getting his sleep. And his anxiety stays at bay. And he was just kind of shocked. And I think we all know, like, yes, we're supposed to get those seven to nine hours of sleep. But if you really knew that what could happen if you don't, you know, uh, countries use this as a form of torture, sleep deprivation. That's been used in wartime for a long time. It's, it's positively cruel. So if we really understood the value of sleep, I think all of us would be like, well, I, that's the first thing I'm going to do with myself, for those I care about, my kids, my partner, whomever. Wonderful. wonderful. So because we're kind of talking about how to improve mental health at workplace, yep. how did how did this person contribute it to Very his good own question. and his, his other colleagues' mental health? So when he went to work, he would also get tense. And the great thing about progressive muscle relaxation is it's not only great for falling asleep, it's also great for dealing with stress. So when he got irritated or irritable, he could do it at his chair with no one really even noticing. So he could tense his muscles or something like that. He also had difficulty uh, speaking when he had to give a presentation. And he could also practice deep breathing during the presentation that, that nobody knew he was doing. It was, a, it was a private coping mechanism. But the great thing was, is be doing those 
progressive muscle relaxation and the, and the deep breathing is that he felt so unbelievably insured that this is, this changed my life that he started sharing it with people saying, you know, Gretchen taught me these techniques. You've got to hear about them. Let's bring her in. Let's have her talk. And I actually then went into this office and talked about different techniques. So it was, it was a really, it was a real great experience. And then, you know, once your sleep is corrected, your anxiety will plummet, your depression can plummet, and then you can really live the life that you're supposed to. Yes, so yes. His, he, he really started doing great at work and resumed activities. Wonderful, wonderful. So not only he improved his own mental health, he actually yeah. helped his colleagues and uh, his workplace. And so you really don't need to be really in the top management level to be able to improve the mental health of your at your workplace. You as individual, no matter what your role is, can impact both your own mental health as well as your team's mental health. I think so too. I think that the real beauty of him is that he was willing to share what he was going through and really to share that his sleep deprivation really caused all of these problems. And I think that, you know, when we share that all of us feel anxiety and, and blue feelings, I included that, you know, it normalizes it. And that's also part of the human condition. We are going to go through periods of feeling anxious. We're going to go through periods of feeling blue. So if we talk about it, maybe we could learn from each other different ways to feel better. Yeah. And there was a lot of in past, I'm saying in past, because I'm hoping that that stigma has been reduced in workplace, especially since COVID, people are more aware of their need to have mental wellness to be able to perform and, you know, to prevent the burnout and to prevent losing their jobs. So more people are open about it. But don't you, do you feel like people still get stigmatized or like treated differently if they do share about the mental health at workplace? I think so. You know, pre-pandemic, and I know you know this, pre-pandemic, one in five had a diagnosable mental health condition. And the World Health Organization thinks that that number increased between 20 and 30%. So, so many more people were feeling it. Now, if that number increases between 20 and 30%, we're talking about half the population that is going to work is having a diagnosable mental health problem, most often anxiety and depression. But that the thing is, is that so many more people started to experience it. I do think that in our culture, that there is far more acceptance from the younger populations of mental health problems. You know, they've been taught and trained that, you know, they can go talk to their school counselor about how they're feeling. And a lot of great topics have come up, like coping with bullying and all those sorts of things. And those people went through the school system. So I think the younger population really has less of a stigma. You know, it's interesting. I'll walk down in my, in my town, in my street, and I'll see a, a kid that I see. And that kid will come right up to me. Hey, Gretchen, how's it going? You know, can I meet, can I meet your dog? But if I look sometimes off at the older population, there's still, I think there is a stigma. And that population was really told, don't bring your home problems to work. And now the opposite message is happening. We want, we care about the whole person. And we realize that if you're struggling at something at home, maybe with your own mental health or somebody that you care for or your child's mental health, that that's going to affect your work. And we can talk about it just like we would talk about a physical health condition. You know, if, if somebody had diabetes or a heart problem, that would be acceptable to, you know, have to, you know, go for a walk or do the things that you need to do to take care of those conditions or, or take your insulin or excuse yourself for certain things. So I think the stigma is going, is decreasing, but I think we've got some ways to go. Yes, yes. And especially when people in the leadership, when they realize that, that you can get the 
best performance out of your employees if they are in their best mental state. Uh, hearing one person kind of sharing that he was he was in a high management position, but he also had somebody on his superior and he lost his father. After that, when he was trying to return to work, he realized that he needed to probably take a little longer. So mm-hmm. he talked with his manager. This is a very high performing, performing person. Okay. And, and so he talked to his superior and said, you know, I think I need to kind of gradually ease in. I, I think I need to maybe come four days a week or take a little longer because I'm still grieving loss of my father. And so you know what his superior said? If you do that, what kind of example we are setting for our employees? Oh, isn't that awful? And guess what would happen for this person? Because he was not ready to completely bring himself completely to work by not getting that accommodation. What happened? That company lost this high achiever. Yep. Okay. And so um, that's why I want to kind of bring this message to everybody whoever whoever is your role you know in in the in an organization whether you are a colleague whether you're a superior whether you're a manager our attitude towards mental health affect not only our own mental health but the mental health of everybody working around and just having that recognition that we are a whole person we're yeah. not just you know machine the worker person that comes yeah. to work yeah, yeah productivity machine our productivity is really determined by our both physical and mental health and when we are in optimum mental and physical health then we perform at our best then we produce our best and then we solve the problems in the best possible way so true and and it's very interesting it's what's good for the person is good for the company so it's a win-win on both situations you know if someone invests in employee mental health that individual will do what better, but since that person will be more productive, the company will do better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's very interesting. There's a great study that Deloitte did, and Deloitte looked at companies that invested in mental health for their employees, and they found over like a 10-year span of the study that those who invented, that invested a dollar in mental health, for every dollar, they got a $4 return on decreased absenteeism, increased productivity, better communications between coworkers, decrease, you know, uh, long-term use of, you know, when someone has to leave because they're ill, those sorts of things, that it was great for everybody. Yeah. And, and we see it all the time, but somehow we have difficulty following through. And so I also have heard people like caring people and, you know, in management position, they would say, okay, but how do I run my or, uh, unit or my organization when people take so much time off for their mental health. And so they have these questions in terms of how can I support and yet keep a balance between what is good for the company and what is good for an individual with mental health issue. So what would you tell this manager who's struggling with this kind of heart? Well, you know, I think that the premise might be wrong there. I think that people really, you know, people are natural performers. People do want to achieve. That's a natural state of people. It's not the natural state to do as little as you can or try to get by. People want to feel good about the work that they do and they want to feel productive. So I think that those managers get fearful, like what you said in your story, like, you know, what kind of example is that to set? But really what that is, is that we're human beings and that at times we're going to have to spend 
you know, our focus is going to be our family. You know, when someone passes away in our family, our focus should be our family. But it's also the same can be true that sometimes when things shift in the work culture, the focus should be work, you know, and sometimes it has to shift, you know, maybe you've got a closing or maybe you've got a deadline that you might be working more hours than what you used to or what is average. That's a normal thing that happens, just like it's a normal thing to all of a sudden take some more time to deal with, you know, maybe a sick parent or something like that. So I think maybe the premise that people are going to take advantage is really not the truth. And we know that from developmental psychology, we know that the more confidence that we give in somebody, the more that they will give, that giving begets giving. And if we trust people, they will be more likely to be trustworthy. Now, is there going to be, you know, the bad apple in the group? Of course, but that's true of every group. So can, can you share some tips for a manager or somebody in a lead position? Yep. How do they help their employees, their team members, to focus on their mental health, to take care of their mental health so that they can perform at their best. Yes. So I think the number one thing a manager can do is model their own good mental health. So modeling is much more effective than saying something. We know that from developmental psychology as well. What parents model for their children is more important than what they say to their children. And so we take that line of thinking to managers leading people. So modeling by example, what would that be? That might be taking a walk in the middle of the day or having a walking meeting. Or they might say, you know what? I ha- It's Friday. I have to sign off at four o'clock today or three o'clock. I- I'm just kind of fried and showing that it's okay to take care of your mental health. So I think modeling is great. I also think sharing experiences of when that person struggled themselves. You know, we've all had difficulty struggling. You know, before the broadcast started today, you and I both talked about our own experiences with burnout. I mean, burnout is is a very difficult topic. And we felt communal with each other. We felt it was normal. And so sharing your own experiences, I think, is highly effective. I think also paying attention to what you see in your employees or who you're leading. You know, if you see changes in their attitude or maybe they're showing up late or they're not making a meeting or they become forgetful, these are all signs that something else might be going on, that their mind is somewhere else. And I think it's perfectly welcome to say, hey, how are you doing? Is, Is something going on? I've noticed that, you know, I've noticed that you've been late the last several days. Is there something you want to talk about? But you see how I say it with an open end? I don't have judgment in my voice. I'm inviting someone to talk. And if someone feels secure to talk, they will. So I think that that's really important. So let's say somebody comes and talks about, okay, they are struggling with whatever anxiety or sleep problem or depression. What do you do next other than you should see a psychiatrist or you should see a therapist? Other than that, what else? You know, because that is where, like, you know, people think about, okay, well, if somebody's having a problem, you should see a doctor. That's all they can say. But there's so much more they could do. So do you have there's so much more? So one thing, yes. So leaders should really know about what their company's employee assistance program offers. And they should educate those who work with them and that they lead that, hey, you know, at our company, we have 10 free therapy sessions. Did you know that? Why don't you try those out? So first of all, they have to be really educated about it. But, you know, we also have to consider that people who are at work, that's a lot of responsibility to feel like I'm supposed to be now a mental health expert. And we're not asking that. But we are asking that you be really knowledgeable, be kind and supportive and be hopeful. I think hope, you know, if you can give somebody hope that is struggling, they feel that they can go on to the next thing. And I think a lot of that is divulging maybe of your own struggle. You know what? 
someone might come into work and say, oh gosh, my kid, you know what? Curfew was midnight. He didn't show up till 1.30 and I was upset. Say, you know what? My kid did that too. I remember going through that stage and it's really, really hard. Next, I think it's also really important to continuously check in with somebody. Hey, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do? Would you like to go for a walk? Those sorts of things. You know, we, you can, it, it is okay in our world today to communicate care in the workplace. I know it was like very taboo a long time ago, but the whole person walks in that door. Whatever goes on at home, whatever goes on in their past life and what's ever going to happen to them walks through that door. So I think it's a really caring environment is really, really important. Yeah, I think that's, that's where the key is care. Yeah. I just want to kind of be a little devil's advocate in terms of an People, if somebody is sharing their difficulty, a lot of times, instead of listening for understanding, we jump in and try to solve the problem. Yes, you know? it's a natural tendency. <laughs> right. And, and we start kind of telling our own story. And sometimes if it's not the right time, the person may feel invalidated. Very true. So can you just kind of share how to validate the person's experience and focus on understanding before sharing our own situation. Yes, so that's exactly what happens. When someone comes and starts telling you about their problems, if we are too quick to solve them, which is a real natural tendency, what we wanna be helpful, we wanna decrease their stress, we want to make them feel better. But if we jump in too soon, we say that we, we invalidate their feelings and also we show that we're uncomfortable with their negative feelings, that we can't handle them. And that also might be scary for them to hear. So one way to do it is to just sit back and listen. Tell me more. What was that like? I'm so sorry. You know, express empathy. I'm so sorry that happened. I can understand why you would feel that way. Those are really important. And then in time, you can help problem solve. You'll know the time, but you're exactly right. When we jump in too quickly, you invalidate where somebody is and the person doesn't feel heard. And what happens is they will escalate. So this happens a lot with uh, different dynamics that if you problem solve too soon, soon, someone escalates in their symptoms. And so what we really have to do is meet somebody where they are. So I, unless, unless somebody, you know, the first time you have a conversation with somebody, it probably shouldn't be a problem solving. It probably should just be in a listening. And you might learn things that you didn't know about them or realize that you were making assumptions about their anxiety was like yours, but wait a second, you realize their anxiety was far worse. You didn't have panic attacks or something like that. So really start to listen, ask open-ended questions and sit back. Yeah. And I just didn't realize we were having so much fun. The time is flying. And, oh, goodness. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to kind of go a little more in deep with the, you know, mental health friendly workplace, the four A's of mental health friendly workplace. Maybe we can share it next time. Let's kind of leave this, our audience with a little curiosity. What are the four A's? of mental health friendly workplace. And we'll talk about it next time. But until then, if people want to reach you, how can how can they reach you? Yes, please visit my website at drmoranmarsh.com. Through there, you can get a hold of me and uh, see all the things that I have to offer to improve mental health of, of really everybody. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much. And thank you for the gift that you're going to share with our audience. And so it's called Taking Care of Self, S-E-L-F. 
And so I am curious what is in this document and what I can apply in my life. If you guys want to get access to this gift, you can go to our website, happyandhealthymind.com. Press that button resources and you'll be able to download all the resources that are shared by our guests. And if you are in US and you would like to get text reminders, then you can text the word joyful, J-O-Y-F-U-L, to the number 38470. And we'd be happy to send you the link for these resources and reminders for future programs. And so let me leave you with this question. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. What one small change you are going to do to take care of yourself so you can enjoy what is best in your life and perform at your best without unnecessary suffering. So pick one thing and start working on that. Until next time, Dr. Rosina. And thank you, Dr. Gretchen, for joining us. Thank you so much for having me.